The legends are true. But overwhelming power! The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Wickdonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece Nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at Wickdonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! And participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Subscribe to Inclusion Revolution Radio, wherever you can get podcasts. Progressive Snapshot can save you money based on how you drive and how much you drive. So the safer you drive, the more money you could save. Now, if you didn't hear that because you were looking at your phone while driving, let me say it again. Seriously, put down your phone. That is so unsafe. If you didn't do stuff like use your phone while driving, you could save money with Progressive Snapshot. But saving or not, just put it down. And if you did hear it the first time because you weren't looking at your phone, nice work. You'd love Snapshot from Progressive because it rewards safe drivers. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Snapshot not available in California and North Carolina or from all agents. This is a podcast from Minute Media. Welcome to the Matt Lombardo Show, part of the Stacking the Box podcast. Please welcome your host, Matt Lombardo. What's going on, everybody? Welcome on into the Matt Lombardo Show right here inside Fansided Stack in the Box podcast feed. Of course, I am Fansided National NFL Insider Matt Lombardo. Great to have you here. Big show ahead, recapping Super Bowl 56, the biggest storylines to come from the game and the future, and some pretty intense quarterback debates that have emerged. We're going to get into all of that and a whole lot more. A little bit later on, we'll be joined by New York Jets legend and sudden media mogul Nick Mangold get his thoughts on the Super Bowl his thoughts on what's to come in 2023 and beyond and what the Jets need to do to get to that level and some of the surprise teams that could make a move all that and a whole lot more but before we get into it as always just a little bit of housekeeping for you if you enjoy my work if you enjoy this show please go ahead and follow me on Twitter I'm at Matt Lombardo NFL and if you tune into this podcast every week please go ahead and subscribe in the Apple Podcast Store SoundCloud Spreaker, subscribe on YouTube to Stacking the Box, Fansided's National NFL Podcast. You get two great podcasts for the price of none. You get Mark Carmen and Matt Vergeram every Tuesday on Stacking the Box, and then you get my analysis and my guests on the Matt Lombardo Show every Friday. Just subscribe to Stacking the Box in the Apple Podcast Store. SoundCloud, Spreaker, give us a like on YouTube, all of those places. And if you enjoy the podcast, please leave a five-star review for Stacking the Box, mentioning the Matt Lombardo Show. Let me know a guest or two you might be interested in hearing from, and I'll go to get them on. So let's dive right into what happened on Super Bowl Sunday. The Rams are champions after a 23-20 win over the Bengals. And the biggest storyline of this entire year in the NFL, in my opinion, was Les Snead and the Rams going all in on this year. You heard Snead at the Super Bowl parade. F them picks. We're going to use them to continue building and continue to bring championships to the city of Los Angeles. I love that the aggressiveness was rewarded. I love that in this game on Sunday, it were some of the biggest 
most critical contributors to the Rams' success over the second half of this season. Aaron Donald, arguably the premier player in the NFL. Odell Beckham Jr., the Rams don't make it to the Super Bowl without Odell. Matthew Stafford with a standout Hall of Fame caliber performance. We'll get into that a little bit later. With the fourth quarter comeback and game-winning drive for the ages in arguably the biggest moment in the Rams franchise history, at least since their arrival in Los Angeles. I love that it was the biggest players who were most critical to the Rams' success over the course of this season who played the largest role in them winning this game on Sunday. And, you know, you start to talk to people around the league about what the Rams need to do to repeat. And I wrote about this in my column on Wednesday on fansided.com. You can go and check that out. But I had an executive text me just this morning before recording this podcast that The Rams need to convince Aaron Donald not to retire. Now, I don't think Donald's going to retire. I don't think he's going to leave the money on the table. And I think that even though it would be a storybook ending to ride off into the sunset with a Super Bowl ring on his finger, here's a guy who's in the prime of his career. Here's a guy who is one year removed from winning Defensive Player of the Year. And Donald made a really strong case of winning the award again this year that it, of course, went to T.J. Watt. But I just don't see with the opportunity in the NFC that's going to be wide open and right there for the taking for the Rams, Aaron Donald walking away from future Super Bowl opportunities. Maybe I'm wrong, but as the executive texted me, the biggest key to the Rams getting back is making sure that Aaron Donald doesn't retire. That's going to be one of the storylines of the coming weeks and months this offseason. I just don't see him walking away. But What's been really fascinating to me in the aftermath of this Super Bowl is kind of the debate and the conversation that's emerged around these two quarterbacks, Matthew Stafford and Joe Burrow, one of which with Joe Burrow being whether or not he's arguably or necessarily already the best quarterback in the NFL or the best quarterback in the AFC. And I think that there's a strong case to be made that Joe Burrow belongs in that conversation if he's not already there. The pieces are in place for him to potentially reach that mantle in the very near future. And I think there's a really interesting thread line that can be drawn between the debates that are unfolding about these two quarterbacks, be it Matthew Stafford's Hall of Fame candidacy or whether Burrow is already the premier quarterback in the NFL or the AFC and whether or not he can get there. And I just think that people are looking at both of these conversations the wrong way. Both of these debates, they can't be centered on exactly what's happening today in 2022, in my opinion at least. Both of these conversations, whether it's about Joe Burrow and where he stands in the NFL hierarchy or whether or not Matthew Stafford is going to wind up in Canton, are kind of about projecting forward into the future and what's to come. Because I want to start with Joe Burrow. Because there's this sentiment outside of Cincinnati that the conversation about Burrow already being the top passer in the AFC is patently absurd, And people say that if you're making that argument, if you believe that statement today, that you're somehow a prisoner of the moment. And I don't see it that way. I think that those making the argument that guys like Patrick Mahomes and Josh Allen and Justin Herbert are still in that position as the best quarterback in the AFC by default, well, they might be the ones who are actually stuck in the moment and stuck in the here and now and not trusting what their eyes have shown them over the course of this past season, because there's a big difference between being the best quarterback and the most accomplished quarterback. Joe Burrow is not the most accomplished quarterback right now today. The most accomplished quarterback right now in the NFL is Patrick Mahomes by a wide margin. And Mahomes might be the most talented quarterback that we've seen in at least a generation. 
And we saw that in the highest pressure moments with 13 seconds remaining against the Bills, what he can do in the clutch. Nobody can take that away from him, just like nobody can take what he did in the fourth quarter against the San Francisco 49ers in that Super Bowl against him either. But there's a strong case, not only that he's the best quarterback in the game today, but you can make a counter-argument against that case based on what happened in a terrible, awful second half of the AFC Championship game against the Bengals and in a huge moment at the end of the first half where he threw a pass to the five-yard line to Tyreek Hill and then tried to call a timeout not realizing that he didn't have one. And when it comes to Patrick Mahomes, I don't know that you can argue that there's a more physically gifted or talented quarterback in the NFL today. But talking about this with a quarterback coach, he made an interesting point that sometimes Patrick Mahomes can be his own undoing because he gets too aggressive in the moment. And I watched the end of that game against Cincinnati in the AFC Championship game, and I just don't think that Joe Burrow makes that kind of mistake, makes those kinds of mistakes in a big moment because when you watch Joe Burrow play and I think we saw this in the Super Bowl I see a guy who wins with intangibles a guy who wins with timing a guy who wins by dictating to the defense we saw it against Kansas City with those two scrambles for 25 yards in big moments I think you see a guy who wins above the shoulders who wins because he doesn't make those mistakes doesn't fall into being too aggressive and and knows his limitations that I think he does have from a physical standpoint. But make no mistake, Joe Burrow is pretty damn talented as well. Pro Football Focus ranked him as the number one quarterback in the NFL. Not Patrick Mahomes, not Josh Allen, not Justin Herbert. It was Joe Burrow who finished the year with an overall grade of 91.8 as the highest graded quarterback in the league this season. That's saying something. He also had two come-from-behind wins in the postseason, including against Patrick Mahomes, when Burrow and the Bengals overcame the largest deficit in AFC Championship game history, and if Tyler Boyd doesn't drop that pass for a first down in the Super Bowl against the Rams, maybe Cincinnati's celebrating its first Super Bowl in Joe Burrow's first full season as a starter. And don't forget, Joe Burrow and the Bengals also beat Patrick Mahomes twice this year, once in blowout fashion in Cincinnati, and once overcoming the largest deficit in title game history in Arrowhead Stadium, that has to count for something. That has to matter when you talk about head-to-head -head and talking about which quarterback might be surpassing the other, if not this year, then moving forward, looking into the future. And here's the other thing. Joe Burrow has something that Josh Allen and Justin Herbert don't yet have, and that's a Super Bowl appearance. Those are accomplishments, right? Th those are what we talk about being the most accomplished versus the best. We've also seen Mahomes and the Chiefs regress each of the past two seasons, losing in the Super Bowl to Tampa Bay and then losing the conference championship game at home where they were favored. So can Burrow surpass Mahomes? I think there's a really good chance because of how he wins, because of his intangibles, because of the situation in Cincinnati where he has a brilliant offensive mind in Zach Taylor, signed, sealed, and delivered as his head coach for years to come. He gets to grow alongside arguably already the number one wide receiver in the NFL in Jamar Chase. But here's the problem. And here's the issue that Joe Burrow and the Bengals are going to face if Burrow is going to develop into and remain one of the elite quarterbacks, if not the elite quarterback in the entire league. Can he be the next Tom Brady? Or is he going to be relegated to being the next Dan Marino, who we know how hard it is to get to a Super Bowl. We know how much harder it is to get back. 
Just ask Marino himself. I like the Bengals' chances. I love the resources that they have with $55 million in cap space. They know what they need to do. They know, after drafting Jamar Chase number 5 overall last year, that now it's time to fortify that offensive line, to build a dominant offensive line in front of Burrow after he was sacked 55 times this past year. If you take Burrow out of that situation in Cincinnati and you drop him into Philadelphia behind that offensive line or in Dallas or even in Buffalo, how different is his story right now today? How much differently are we looking at Joe Burrow because of the offensive line that he plays behind, letting him down in huge spots? Because personally, I think Burrow's going to surpass Mahomes, Allen, and Herbert. I just think he has that kind of upside. But the Bengals have to do their part here. The Bengals can't fall into how they've operated over the last several decades of not spending money in free agency, of trying to get by building through the draft, of ignoring some of their glaring weaknesses. They, they have a gift. They have a gift of one of the top young quarterbacks in the NFL, if not the top quarterback today in Joe Burrow. They now need to break the mold and spend to protect him, to keep him upright so that he can develop. That's what's going to be critical to Joe Burrow's development. Not necessarily whether or not Joe Burrow has the strongest arm. Not necessarily whether Joe Burrow is the most exciting quarterback to watch. Not necessarily what he's able to do that makes you stand up and say wow and leads off the Sports Center top 10 every morning. It's what is he able to do within the construct of the game. What is he able to do in the biggest moments of the game, which we've seen him do throughout this season. If the offensive line is the same offensive line that lined up this year and gave up 55 sacks, yeah, good luck. He's not getting back to the Super Bowl. But if they go out and they build an offensive line that rivals what we see in Philadelphia and in San Francisco and in Kansas City, then the rest of the league needs to look out. I absolutely believe that the Bengals did the right thing drafting Jamar Chase last year because I don't think that they get to a Super Bowl without the Burrow and Chase connection. You look at what happened in Tennessee in that playoff game. You look at some of the big moments in this Super Bowl. I, I don't think that they get there without Jamar Chase. But in order for this story to have a new chapter and to add championship parades to the story of Joe Burrow and the Cincinnati Bengals, now it's time to go and build the offensive line because you aren't winning without it. But speaking of stories... I think Matthew Stafford's ending is still to be written, and I, I don't have a problem with people filling the week after the Super Bowl debating whether or not Matthew Stafford belongs in the Hall of Fame, and there are people that are saying that you can't ever have the conversation, that you're living in the moment coming off of one Super Bowl, and here's the thing, the conversation might be a little bit premature, but I don't think it's outlandish, not in the least, because Stafford's currently 13 in passing yards all time. He has a Super Bowl ring on his finger. Nine of the quarterbacks above him in the top 13 are in the Hall of Fame, plus Eli Manning. So Stafford isn't retiring today or tomorrow. That's the key nuance that we have to remember with this conversation. If Sean McVay doesn't retire, there's a really good chance that Matthew Stafford finishes as a top five or top 10 quarterback in passing yards each of the next three seasons. And if that happens, he'd easily finished within the top 10 all-time in passing yards. He already has one Super Bowl ring on his finger, and he's probably in a position with that offense, with the current landscape of the quarterback dearth across the NFC, where it's just so wide open that Stafford might wake up in September as the premier quarterback in the entire conference. Stafford's going to be in a position with the Rams 
to make multiple playoff runs and maybe go to multiple Super Bowls. If the season in his career ended today, he'd have as many Super Bowl rings as Aaron Rodgers. He has more passing yards than Troy Aikman, Joe Namath, and Terry Bradshaw. Would I put Matthew Stafford in the Hall of Fame today? Look, I don't have a vote. I really wish I did. Maybe someday if my career takes a certain trajectory, I'd love to be in that room. But if I'm in the room right now and I'm projecting out Matthew Stafford's career and how it has the chance to finish and that he's already won a Super Bowl, if I'm in the room next year and Matthew Stafford's eligible for the first time next year, which he won't be, it would be five years down the line if he retired today, you know, I'm probably voting no on Matthew Stafford. But if we project out what the next three years are going to be and what the next three seasons have the chance to bring for Matthew Stafford and where he has the chance to finish from a yards, touchdowns, Super Bowls, all-time list of accomplishments, if I'm sitting in that room in eight years after three more years of Matthew Stafford playing at this level, yeah, I'd put him in the Hall of Fame. And I'd feel pretty strongly about it, too. These Hall of Fame conversations about quarterbacks, overall, they're just incredibly subjective. But I think there's a through line that runs between the Burrow debate and the Matthew Stafford conversation. I just don't think people are comfortable, in my opinion, having their prior views and beliefs changed or challenged by current events. People who say Patrick Mahomes and Josh Allen are the best two quarterbacks in the NFL based on past performance and accomplishments, yeah, that's true. They have a really strong argument. But what Joe Burrow did this year in that situation with that offensive line, I don't think that can be discounted when you finish as pro football focus as number one rated quarterback in the NFL. You finish top five in passing. You finish top five in quarterback rating in the fourth quarter, which means you're playing your best football in the game's biggest moments. I don't think that you can discount those things. Matthew Stafford, very similarly, played for a historically inept franchise for 13 years. That doesn't change what he's accomplished now that he's in Los Angeles or what he has to do, has the potential to do in coming years. It also doesn't discount the stats and what the stats tell us that he did when very few people were watching when he was in Detroit with a terrible supporting cast outside of having Calvin Johnson at wide receiver. Both of these conversations about Matthew Stafford and Joe Burrow, they're fun. In my opinion, they're both what make football incredibly subjective. I think we're going to get many, many more years out of these debates if these guys keep playing at this level and if their teams continue to build around them. But I think it's important to always have an eye towards the future when you're talking about who the best quarterback is or what a guy's Hall of Fame chances have the potential to be rather than making your argument through the gaze of the rearview mirror. And with that, Nick Mangold joins me next right here on the Matt Lombardo Show inside Fansided's Stack in the Box podcast feed. Welcome back in. And this is going to be a real treat. You know him as a New York Jets legend. You probably hear him on the Big Man Bets podcast over at Betsided. But joining us right here on the Matt Lombardo Show, former New York Jets offensive lineman, media connoisseur, Nick Mangold joins us. Nick, how you doing, man? Doing well. How about you? I'm doing great. Happy to have you here. And, you know, having a guy of your stature who was so dominant throughout his career along the offensive line, I'd love to get your thoughts right out of the shoot here. When you look across all 32 teams, going into next season, who has the most dominant offensive line in football right now? Oh, that's a tough question. I think the Browns, as long as they stay healthy, have a great um, a great core group of guys there. You know, they play well. They play uh, very technique-oriented. Um, and so I, I like what they're doing up there. Um, 
The other one I like, but I, you know, it's probably going to split up. I like this Rams offensive line. Um, you know, they've been doing a great job uh, as well, but you know, I think old, old man Whitworth's getting old. So that's going to be a replacement probably. Um, so we'll see, but it's always fun um, diving into what happens in the offensive line with free agency and everything. Um, just seeing where it goes. Cause you know, it's one of those things that you, we always kind of forget about um, when we're talking about football, because you never get, get to watch it unless you're watching uh, the all 22, which is, you know, disappointing. I, I want the NFL trench channel uh, where we just watch the big men. Oh, there's an idea. It can run opposite of red zone. You, you can have exactly. you know, red zone opportunities, but have the cameras just zoomed in on the offensive lineman in the battle in the trenches. I love that. You brought up the Browns. How much does their offensive line benefit from the fact that they have such a dominant power running scheme with Nick Chubb and it's kind of that run first mentality out there? It definitely helps. And they have the guy um, at the helm and Bill Callahan, um, who I believe is the, the best offensive line coach in the league. Um, and so, you know, they're going to be technique sound um, and they're going to have that good desire to run the ball. I think that's one of the things that Bill does great because he, he stays committed to it. So um, that, that really helps an offensive line when you know that you got the backing of the team. Your former team, the New York Jets, spent a first round pick, a high first round pick a couple of years ago on Mekhi Becton. When you watched him last year, what do they need to do to get him to the next level next season and beyond? I mean, the first thing is got to stay healthy, you know, um, when you're out. And I, that's why I hate when people put uh, timelines on guys' injuries. You're like, oh, this is four to six weeks. This is six to eight. Because you never know. And once a guy is injured, you know, if he's coming back, maybe tweak something, it takes longer. Um, so, you know, they came out and said it was going to be six to eight weeks. He doesn't end up playing the rest of the season. Um, you know, it, it's disappointing. And so this offseason is going to be huge for him. Um, it's the second year in the system. And he's going to have a, a great base under him, um, hopefully to get himself physically right and mentally right of knowing uh, not only what he needs to do, but how he can get better, how he can, you know, use the techniques that he's taught. Um, so I'm expecting a big offseason for him. And a guy who played your position and is playing it at a really high level is Tyrell Linderbaum, ahead of the NFL draft coming out of Iowa. You look at the Jets, obviously a great track record of drafting centers. You look at the Giants, a glaring need at center. If you were in the front office of either one of the franchises in New York, would it be a wise move, especially after so many teams passed on Quentin Nelson as an interior lineman, to really prioritize someone like Linderbaum with a top 10 pick this coming spring? Yeah, I mean, I would definitely say that they need to do their homework. And, and that's the big thing, because, um, you know, when you're going to spend a high round pick on uh, an unsexy position, you need to make sure you hit it. Um, and so, you know, when, when you're talking about, all right, we want to pick this guy. And that's the other thing, too. Like, Jets have two first-round um, picks there in the first 12, I think it is, something like that. Um, you know, that's the ammo that they can move up, they can move down. Um, and so if, if they get the feeling like he's still going to be there later in the round, um, you know, you could get a nice little haul and still pick him up. So there's going to be a lot of jockeying around. Um, there's a lot of hype behind this kid already. And so I, I'm excited to see, you know, how his draft kind of – it goes does it you know does it keep skyrocketing up you know does it mellow out it's going to be interesting why do you think it is that interior linemen don't get the same acclaim they aren't valued as highly as the tackles are in the nfl draft especially you know we brought up nelson but there have been other interior linemen who've gone on to have hall of fame caliber careers but it just seems like they're overlooked coming out of the draft yeah and i think the big thing is because people just don't see them you know, the only time you see a guard or a center is uh, usually when they have a holding call or they jump off sides. Um, tackles being on the edge, you know, they're always talked about, you know, protecting the quarterback and everything. Um, even though we also protect the quarterback as interior guys, 
Um, but it's always talked about the tackle. So I think it's more just the actual visibility um, from everybody, media fans, coaches, uh, everyone says, you know, the tackle is the important position. And I know you're probably biased because you played center and you played it at such a high level, but, you know, kind of taking that, that question in a little bit of a different direction here, you know, outside of the tackle position, everybody says left tackle is the most valuable position outside of quarterback on a roster. And I'm not so sure that I buy into that, especially when you look at Aaron Donald on the other side, the emergence of really dominant nose tackles across the league. You know, what is the most important and most valuable offensive line position when you're building out a roster, in your opinion? You are correct. I am biased. Uh, <laughs> I think the center it has to be the most important. Um, but I think in the end, too, the way the NFL has gotten with the pass rushers, um, you know, they don't just stick their uh, best pass rusher on the left tackle and say, all right, this is yours all game. I mean, they're moving these guys around all over the place. So it kind of almost is negating um, just how valuable the left tackle is because um, that guy could be on the right-hand side on the next play. And you're like, well, that guy's our run blocker. Like, he doesn't pass block. So uh, I, I think that's changing. And then also just the mental side. Um, you know, the centers have so much information to process and, you know, getting up to the line and, and helping out the offense line, making sure everyone's on the same page um, and still be able to complete the, the snap and then uh, complete the job. There's a lot going on, going on for those guys in the middle. From a Jets perspective, what did you see from Zach Wilson as a rookie? Were there moments where you thought, OK, this kid has it, he can be a franchise quarterback? Or do you were you kind of disappointed by what you saw out of him as a rookie? No, there was definitely flashes that I saw in there, um, and you know, but there was also some boneheaded rookie mistakes, and you know I think those are a big thing you got to clean up. What I am really excited about is everyone talked throughout in the building is how much like, he just um, digests football, like he's always learning, always trying to you know playbook, watching film and everything. So I'm excited for him um, that he now has an offensive playbook starting January uh, whatever the first day was they were done January fifth. Through up to training camp, whereas you know he got a late start being drafted, you know it's kind of a crunch. You're just getting the basic points. Um, now he can really do a deep dive into it, and I think you'll see some of those uh, mistakes and miscalculations uh, were probably most likely mental rather than physical. What do the Jets need to do? Because you look at Cincinnati this year, they kind of came out of nowhere. I know they have Joe Burrow, they have Jamar Chase, they have a lot of talent on offense. They were plus fifteen hundred to make the Super Bowl going into this year, and you know here they are. What do the Jets or, or, or a team on that level need to do to get to the Super Bowl and be next year's Bengals? Yeah, I, I think the biggest thing they need to do uh, is have that identity. Um, you look at, you know, everyone always talks about the sophomore slump for second-year guys, and Joe Burrow blew past that. He showed that that's not a thing, um, and, you know, it can be done. So there's going to be a lot of coming off that injury, off that exactly. 20 ACL so, too. I feel like we kind of forget about that, that he, you know, ended on IR and everything. I kind of have to assume he's playback cumber playback or the um, comeback shoot, I'm stumbling all over my the comeback player of the year. Um, just with he's got his team in the in the Super Bowl and he ended on IR last year. It's pretty impressive. Um, and I think it's you've seen that spark. You know that Cincinnati seems like a team um, that is kind of just has this aura of like, well, yeah, we're going to go out and win. It might not be pretty, but we're going to go do it. And so I, I think having some of that swag um, definitely helps. No doubt about it. And, you know, in addition to your playing career, in addition to the podcast to do with Betsided and everywhere else, there's some great commercials. I mean, the, the commercial you had with Bud Light Seltzer was hilarious. That whole campaign really enjoyed it. 
if you go back to college and you know you could go back and start today and there would be nil involved what would you be endorsing what would you want your deal to be if you were involved in the nil era oh shoot i you know when i was in college i mean i think the biggest thing would be like how do i get free chipotle um, <laughs> that, that would be what i would search out love it all right and speaking of chipotle speaking of food I got to hear about the new barbecue sauce, the new line that you have out, the Mangold 74 barbecue sauce. Tell me about it. Where can I find it? What are the flavors? What do we got going? Yeah, so this is my barbecue sauce. I've been making it in my kitchen for yeah, over eight years now. Um, we finally got it in bottles. Uh, we, we started uh, production was right at the beginning of the pandemic. So we were we kind of had like a cold opening. Um, but we're rolling along. We got two, two sauces out right now. We have the OG and the spicy. Um, and you know, we're hoping to get two more out. So that when I have one for each of my kids, um, it's been a lot of fun, definitely a learning process of the sauce game. Um, and we're also very fortunate to be partnered with answer the call. Um, so we give a portion of our proceeds back, um, to the families of fallen first responders in New York city. Um, and so you can, you can find it, uh, online maxwarehouse.com. They actually just started up a new subscription service. So, you know, when you have, uh, when you're just, you can't figure out what to do for dinner. You throw some chicken on the grill and you're like, oh, throw some barbecue sauce. And then you open your fridge and realize you're out. This takes care of it. Like you're now, you know, you can just have it delivered. You're at the intervals you want uh, makes it super easy. So that's maxwarehouse.com. Maxwarehouse.com. Search for the mangled 74 barbecue sauce. Nick, what is the, what's the flavor profile of the OG? Cause the spicy, I bet is probably like a ghost pepper spiciness, but what's the OG taste like? What are we getting there? The OG we like to call it. It's sweet with a little heat. Um, okay. and it's, it, it doesn't follow any traditional barbecue lines. Like you can't say it's Kansas city, Memphis, Carolina, um, Texas. Like it, it doesn't follow any of those. Uh, it's my own sauce. Uh, I joked one time I was talking to you guys, uh, I think it was like from San Antonio and they're like, well, what's it taste like? And I was like, well, it has its own taste. And I was like, it's, you know, it's New Jersey style, uh, barbecue sauce. And he goes, son, don't ever say that. That is not right. <laughs> like, All right. Perfect. I won't do that again, but yes, it's something that, you, you know, you know that it's barbecue, um, but it doesn't taste like anything you've ever had before. He's Nick Mangold. You can follow him on Twitter at Nick Mangold. And of course, check out the barbecue sauce at maxwarehouse.com. Nick, appreciate the time. Look forward to talking to you further up the road. And I've got to be on the lookout for that Nick Mangold 74 sauce. Yes, you do. I appreciate you having me. Awesome stuff there from Nick Mangold. Make sure you check out the barbecue sauce. You know, it's interesting when you think about the Jets, Mangold's former team, they're pretty well positioned. If Zach Wilson winds up being the guy, you'll get the Jets. They enter with the fifth most cap space in the NFL going into this offseason, just under $45 million in cap space. That's less than the Dolphins, the Chargers, the Jaguars, and the Bengals. You know, you can make a case for three or four of those teams potentially being surprise teams that can make a deep playoff run, maybe on the fringes of the Super Bowl conversation next season. When you look at the Chargers with $57 million and Justin Herbert, when you look at the Jaguars, and now that they have Doug Peterson, who has a track record of developing young quarterbacks with Trevor Lawrence and $56 million to spend with a really interesting young core, the Jaguars could be a team that could make a run. The Bengals, you know you know how I feel about Cincinnati and about Joe Burrow. I made those feelings abundantly clear earlier in the podcast on what the Bengals need to do to stay on top in the AFC. I think they have the resources to do it. But you look at the Jets. If Zach Wilson makes the leap in year two in his second year in a scheme, 
if you look at building out the offensive line in front of him, if you look at adding some pieces on defense in a division where I'm not necessarily blown away by the New England Patriots and Mac Jones, I think that the Bills are clearly one of the teams to beat. And as long as Josh Allen is there, they're going to be in the conversation. And Miami's a bit of an unknown. If Mike McDaniel arrives and gets the most out of Tua Tagovailoa, look out. Miami's going to be a team with all of that money and already having Jalen Waddle and some really good talent around Tua Tagovailoa that they can make a move there. I just think overall it's pretty hard to look at the AFC and think that a team like the Jets or the Jaguars or the Dolphins can really come out of nowhere just because the quarterback playing field is so stacked in that conference. I mean, when you're going up against Patrick Mahomes and Joe Burrow and Josh Allen and Justin Herbert, and those are the teams that you're going to have to get past, that's a pretty Herculean leap to try and make next year. But I think the one team to watch, and I wrote about this in my column on Wednesday, go check it out, just surveying sources, coaches, scouts, executives on who they think is going to be a surprise team next year. Surprisingly, the Raiders were a team mentioned by a lot of folks. And I think that it's basically because they have Derek Carr. They have some continuity, and I can buy into that. But when you're playing in a division with Mahomes and Herbert, I think you're always going to be second or third fiddle in the AFC West. Especially, and, and I think that Aaron Rodgers goes back to Green Bay. I think that we were kind of trending in that direction as this season went along. But on the long shot possibility that Aaron Rodgers follows Nathaniel Hackett to the Denver Broncos. I don't know how the Raiders compete, even with Derek Carr, even with the quarterback. But if I'm surveying potential long shots who can make a run, I'm zeroing in on the Chicago Bears. We know what their defense is. You have Matt Eberflus, who arrives as a player's coach, who players love playing for him. He developed the Indianapolis Colts defense into one of the more dominant defenses in the entire league. A bright mind. And you have Justin Fields. And you have $28 million in cap space to build around Justin Fields. If for whatever reason Rodgers leaves and goes to the Denver Broncos or the Tampa Bay Buccaneers or the Pittsburgh Steelers, the Bears are going to be a team that can win 8, 9, 10 games and get into the postseason. And sometimes it's just about getting in. And it's just about getting hot. And it's just about things breaking your way in the postseason. So if I were looking at a surprise team that could make a run... I look at the Chicago Bears. I think they're a sleeper team that can make a real move. I look at the Pittsburgh Steelers. Depending on what they do at quarterback, and as I reported, they're going to be in the mix for Jimmy Garoppolo in a trade with the San Francisco 49ers, potentially involving a second-round pick or a third-round pick plus players. If they get Jimmy Garoppolo and you drop him into that system with Deontay Johnson and Juju Smith-Schuster, and you have a running back like Najee Harris and a pass-catching tight end like Pat Fryermuth, the Steelers, with Mike Tomlin as the head coach, they're going to be tough to beat. They're going to be a tough out in the AFC North. So I'd watch out for the Steelers, who are sitting there with $32 million to build around. But if I had to pick my surprise team next year, my long shot to watch, it's the Chicago Bears. This has been a fun show. I hope you enjoyed the quarterback debate. Would love to go toe-to-toe on Twitter. It's always a fun time. You can check me out there at Matt Lombardo NFL. Thanks, as always, to Cole Thompson, who does a fantastic job each and every week getting this podcast up and running. Thanks to Nick Mangold for taking the time. I'm Matt Lombardo. I'll talk to you next week right here on the Matt Lombardo Show inside Fansided Stacking the Box podcast feed. Enjoy your week. I'll talk to you next Friday.
Hello, Discover here to explain our cash back match. Here's how it works. We give you cash back for using your Discover card on the things you were going to buy anyway. Then we match that cash back in your first year. And that's why we call it cash back match. Now to recap and say cash back one more time. We match all the cash back you've earned at the end of your first year automatically. Discover, exceptionally common sense. Learn more at discover.com slash match. Limitations apply. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership. We're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.